Hey, Gateway family. Wow, I'm loud. Now you're awake, aren't you? Where can I stick this? All right, I'm going to hide that back there. If I forget where that is, tell me, would you? Hey, it's wonderful to be here with you. Got all my technology on, I think. And uh, I am delighted to be with you this morning. I love being with people who are seeking Jesus. And I recognize that this morning there is a gamut of people, and especially if maybe this is the first time you've come, I don't know where all of you are in your journey with the Lord, but all of us this morning are on a continuum of getting to know Jesus. And it's possible that you're sitting here this morning and you have some questions about Jesus and who He is. You have some questions about faith and what that's about. And you know what? That's great. I'm glad you're here. You shouldn't come to church because you've got all your questions resolved and fixed. You should come to church because this is the place where we can have questions and we can talk about Jesus and we can get to know him more. So I am so delighted to be here with you. Uh, I appreciate the introduction uh, and I'm grateful that you're impressed, but you just don't know me well enough. Uh, Trust me, there's people who would illuminate you on that. And... uh, This morning, I am here because, one, I was invited, but two, because I am looking for a very specific group of people for what God is about to do in the kingdom. And I'm here to find out if some of you are those people. I don't know if you know this, but the Christian Missionary Alliance, of which you are a church, has, I I, I didn't work this out, I swear I didn't, but did you know that the Alliance is like the Marine Corps of the church. And I didn't, I didn't work it out with Noah. I just am glad that that worked out. The Alliance has always been the Marine Corps into the darkest places, into the ugliest situations, to go and take the gospel into places where nobody else would go. That's the family that you're a part of. There are almost 2,000 churches around America who have a shared goal to send people into the darkest places in the world, both here in the U.S. and around the world. That's what the Christian Missionary Alliance is all about. Today I want to talk to you about a topic that I'm sure all of us have thought about. Uh, A number of years ago, well, it wasn't that long ago, I rolled up on my 40th birthday And uh, I know I look a little older, my wife likes the beard, and if mama likes it, I keep it. So I look a little older with the beard, but I'm only in my upper 40s. So a few years ago, uh, 40 rolled around. How many of you are 40 plus in the room here? All right, okay. So a bunch of you have been to that mile marker. I rolled up on this mile marker a few years ago, and I had a realization that a lot of us do at that stage in your life, like, uh uh-oh. I'm, I'm like halfway through or close. And it all of a sudden got my attention. And I was sitting there one day and I realized uh, something that we all realize eventually, and that is that time passes quickly. Quickly. I blinked and my three kids are growing up. I blinked and I'm halfway through my career. Where did that go? We all have that experience. You youngsters in the room, you've not had that experience yet. Brace yourselves. You think life lasts forever. Well, that's a wonderful thing to believe at this point. So good luck with that. The other thing I realized was that my life was telling a story. 
my life for 40 years had been telling a story. And I was sitting there that day, and I realized that I hadn't really been the author of my story. I had just kind of let it happen. It was happening whether I wanted to or not. There was a story being told with my life whether I wanted to or not. And the story of my life was being written, either accidentally, without my help, or on purpose. And 40 was a great moment for me in which I realized I want to be the writer of my story. I don't want it to be written by somebody else accidentally without my awareness. And so 40 was a turning point for me. At work, I decided I was going to write a certain story in the way I behaved, the kind of boss I was, the kind of people I worked with, the job I had. I decided at home I was going to be a certain type of dad, a certain type of husband. What about you? Have you given much thought to the story that your life is writing? Some of you, your story is a little bit farther down the road and a lot of it's written. Good news is it's not too late. Some of us are a little earlier in that journey and uh, we still have a lot of our story to write. I want all of you to listen because today we're going to talk about what does it look like to write a story that's worth reading. What's it like to write a story with our lives that makes an impact, changes something in the world on behalf of the king, on behalf of the kingdom? There is a guy in Scripture that fascinated me. His name is Paul. And we're going to spend a little bit of time in his life today because he teaches me a great deal about this idea of having a life that matters. So in 2 Timothy chapter 4, if you've got your Bibles, feel free to open them, but it's also on the screen. 2 Timothy chapter 4, we bump into this guy named Paul. And if you're new to the church, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, Paul was a great apostle in the Bible. He was a guy that started out pursuing the church and trying to murder people who were in the church. That's a bad start. But then somewhere along the line, Jesus got a hold of him, and he became one of the greatest apostles of all time. And the Bible tells his story. So in 2 Timothy, he is writing the Scriptures while he's sitting in prison. At this particular time in Paul's life, he's an old dude. And he's sitting there in a jail cell. This is the second or third time he's been in prison for advancing the gospel. And he's looking back over his life. He's looking back over what has been written. And here's the words that he writes. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Henceforth, what is laid up for me, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which is the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on the day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul, the great apostle, sitting in a jail cell, reflecting back on his life, says, I'm coming to the end. 
and I've run a good race. I, I think maybe he was patting himself on the back just a little bit, but he was also reflecting on a race well run. He was reflecting on his legacy. Have you thought much about your legacy, friends? The story that your life is writing here in this place at this time? What is legacy? Legacy is a story people tell about you, but rarely tell to you. It is the gossip that happens behind your back about you. And yes, people gossip about you. You just have to adjust to the fact that people talk about you. Not maliciously, but people tell a story about you. In your family, you have a legacy in your family because people know how you are. In your, at work, people know about you and they talk about you. There is a story being told all over the place, about you. But very few people come and tell you what that legacy is. Your legacy is written on the hearts and minds of people that are in your circle of influence. The people that love you and know you, the people that just know you and may not love you, and yes, you all have some of those, they all have your legacy written on their heart. There's a story that you're telling. I'll be honest, uh, when the last chapter of my life is written, and I'm like Paul, hopefully I'm not sitting in a jail cell, but when I'm looking at the last chapters of my life, I do hope that when I die, people will say nice things about me. Don't you kind of hope that too? Yes? Yeah, I think we all do. Let's, Let's be honest. We hope that people will stand around and say nice things about us and who we were and what we accomplished. And, but more than anything else, I hope people will tell stories about something I did, some impact I had, some difference I made, some way that I inspired them to be more than they are. I pushed them. I helped them. I've been studying a lot about Paul lately because I'm deeply concerned about the legacy of my life. And I'm here to talk to you today because I'm deeply concerned about the legacy of your life individually and the legacy of this church. What is the story that your life is leaving everywhere you go? And what is the story that's being told in this community by this church? Did you know that you have a story that people are telling? Paul is instructive to me, and as I looked at his life over these last months, I've been observing four relationships that defined the legacy that Paul left, and very quickly I want to go through those this morning with you because they may be things that you've never thought about when it comes to your life and your story. So the first relationship that I observed in the life of Paul which I hadn't thought of until I began studying about it, was that Paul had a very unique relationship with comfort. Dan, what do you mean by that? Well, Paul had a different view on life. In 2 Corinthians, he penned these words, but we have a treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power of God is not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side. In other words, life was tough. Paul. 
but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Paul had challenging days like you and I do. I know that you come into this service today and you've got junk going on. You've got relationships that are complicated. You've got family that's challenging or complicated. Hopefully you've got some good family too. You've got work things that are challenging. And Paul says, hey, even if you're hard-pressed on every side, you're not crushed. And even if you don't understand all of life, don't despair. You might even be persecuted. I don't know if any of you are experiencing persecution in some way, shape, or form. I hope not. But not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Paul had a very unique relationship with comfort. His entire viewpoint was different than you and I in modern America. I don't know if you know this about yourself. I'll I'll just speak about myself, and you can feel free to jump on the bandwagon if you like that too. But in this time in history, in my location where I live in America, I feel somewhat entitled to comfort. I uh, aggressively pursue comfort. I pursue, uh, sometimes I measure the, the goodness or badness of my days on how comfortable it was and how nice people were and whether they liked me or not. And I, you know, you're, you all look more spiritual than I am, but sometimes I get irritated when life is not comfortable. Anybody else in that camp with me? Uh, you don't have to fess up, that's all right. One of the things I observe about the legacy that Paul left was that he had a very different relationship with comfort. In other words, his expectations were not that life was going to be comfortable. He assumed that a legacy of impact meant that he was going to be uncomfortable. In fact, if he were with us this morning, he would probably suggest that comfort as a life goal is going to yield a mediocre legacy. Comfort as a life goal is going to yield a mediocre legacy. Now I know that if you're anything like me, you wrestle with the passion to be comfortable. At work, there are days when you want to do just enough to get by. Or you don't want to take on that hard task. Or in your relationship with your spouse, you know, you could go the extra mile, but, eh, I'm tired. Or with your children. Now, children are a marvelous part of God's gift to us, but let's be honest, parents, children are a lot of work. Sorry, kids, if you're in the room, cover your ears. Kids demand a great deal of love and time in which we enjoy giving. But there are days, parents, when you think, oof. I'm not sure I've got enough to give. Yes? See, being a great parent is not about being comfortable. Being a great spouse has nothing to do with comfort. Being a great employee has nothing to do with comfort. And Paul just reminds us, and some of you are in school, and you're figuring out, you know, how little can I do to get a C? Or how little can I do to get a B? Now, you wouldn't tell your parents that, but... And some of you are going after the A's, so well done. Here's the question I have for you. How much is comfort and the passion for it and desire for it defining your decision-making in any given day? 
Now, let's talk about church life. How many of you come to church because this is a place that is comfortable and you hope that on a Sunday morning you will be comforted, you'll be inspired, and then you'll be jetsing back out into the world for another week? How much of our church experience is about how can I feel good? Paul, if he were standing here, would say to you, listen, there is nothing about being in the church that should be comfortable. It should be joyful. It should be engaging. It should be filled with God's presence. But if you're going to be a part of the church, you must understand that it is not about you. Friends, if you're going to do what God wants you to do in this community as a church, you must sacrifice your comfort to reach those who have yet to be reached. Too many churches, and I've seen thousands of them, too many churches are deeply and thoroughly consumed with their own comfort, what we sing, what we do, how the pastor preaches, and we fight about it and we quibble about it. And you know what we're fighting about? Our own comfort. If we don't sing the songs we like, we get angry. If the pastor doesn't preach the way we want him to preach, we get angry. I need you to stop just a second, especially in this transition point in your journey as a church, and figure out whether you're going to be a church who's going to be consumed with your own comfort or you're going to be consumed with finding and reaching the lost because those are two very separate things. Paul would say, you need to give up comfort. Some of us came to faith thinking that it was about us. And I'm sorry if somebody sold you a bill of goods and, they, and said, when you come to faith in Jesus, you're going to have a happy life and it's going to go perfectly. No, that was a bait and switch if somebody told you that because that is not true. The only thing that changed is that now you're not alone. You have God's Spirit. There's a second relationship that I observe in the life of Paul that is instructive to me because I really hate this one. And uh, Paul had a very different view of pain. When he examined the legacy of his life and the way he moved into life, he thought about pain differently than you, do, you and I do. See, pain and comfort are kind of on a continuum. Over here is mild discomfort. I'm, you know, this makes me feel uncomfortable, so I don't like it. Over here... On the far side is pain, things that hurt me, people that hurt me, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. This is one of Paul's contemporaries who said this about pain. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Now, I don't like this at all, and I wish he hadn't said it. But he says, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that this testing of your faith produces perseverance. The word was not if, the word was whenever. So Paul in Romans chapter 5 says, Romans 5, 3, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings 
Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Are you picking up a theme? If you were to spend a lot of time in the New Testament, you would discover that when people came to Jesus, they assumed pain. I hear a lot of Christians getting very, very upset about the fact that our culture is moving away from God. I see Facebook posts and I see you know, all kinds of things about people getting frothed up and really upset about the fact that, oh, our culture is, you know. Listen, brothers and sisters, culture has always been moving away from Jesus. There have been occasional moments when a culture has returned to a sense of morality and grounded themselves in the Word of God, but not very often in the history of the world. I want you to take a deep breath. Exhale. Jesus is still in charge. However, as a culture moves away from Jesus, what happens is that God's people need to understand they're going to experience some pain. People are going to disagree with you. They're going to challenge you. And this is good news. Because it's in the middle of being challenged that we become stronger. And we return to our original calling to be the Marine Corps of God's movement. Paul presumes that pain is going to be normative. In other words, it's normal. You and I are going to have pain. What would our lives look like if we assumed that pain is normal? And what if we stopped whining about it and stopped structuring our lives to avoid it? Question. How much of your life is spent trying to avoid pain and difficulty, tough discussions, tough relationships? Did you know that God has placed you at school and work and wherever else he's got you? He's put you in a circle of influence on purpose for his glory and some of those relationships you hate. Some of those people irritate you. You would irritate them too. Jesus has deployed you as a kingdom person into the world, which means you're going to have difficulty. The good news is you never go alone. That is the only difference in the kingdom. Jesus lives in you. You are filled with his presence. You have all the power you need for the difficulties that life throws at you. Complicated family members, challenging siblings, parenting issues. School issues. What would it look like if we stopped whining about difficulties and just assumed that that's what was going to happen? That was Paul's perspective, and it's instructive to me because I don't like pain. I'll be honest with you. I'm not a fan. The third relationship that I observed in the life of Paul that was instructive to me is his relationship with failure. How much of your life has been and you, you don't want to tell me about this, but think about it in your head. How much of your life is shaped to avoid failure or the appearance of failure? 
And here's the interesting thing, is that the older you get, the less tolerant you are to being willing to try something new and maybe fail. How do I know that? Because I'm getting older. And I like it less than I used to. Paul had an interesting relationship with failure. He was constantly pressing into new places, new experiences, engaging into dark places on behalf of the kingdom. Have you read Paul's story? He got stoned. I don't mean stoned. I mean he got stoned. He was imprisoned. He was run out of cities. He had shipwrecks. I mean, this dude understood pain, and he understood failure. And for his entire life, he kept pressing in on behalf of the kingdom into places that he possibly could fail. And probably his greatest failure was that he started life as a murderer. Very few of us have that experience. But in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, we're reminded that Paul's start, back when he was known as Saul, was as a guy who was persecuting the church and doing everything he could to crush it. And he ended up killing Stephen or being a part of that. Paul was a guy who understood failure. And what happens is he picked himself up from his darkest failures and he kept moving. Anybody in the room today have some failures? Things you're not proud of? I mean, there could be little stuff. You've made some mistakes at work, little failure. You've yelled at your kids or, uh, you know, whatever. Some of us have some big failures in the room. Some of us have shattered relationships. I don't know what your failures look like. But Paul had a very different relationship with failure. He said, one, we're all going to have them. God is the God of forgiveness. And I'm going to keep pressing into new and uncomfortable places on behalf of God. And I might fail. So there's some personal applications that you can make. You're all bright people on that one. But as a church... What is God asking you to do to impact this community? And are you willing to do stuff that you might fail at to make a difference? Do you know Jesus put you here on purpose at this time in history to be a light in this community? Because there is darkness everywhere. Have you read the news lately? There is darkness everywhere. And you as a church are here for the purpose of spreading light. But that means you're going to have to take some risks. It means you're going to have to do things that you're uncomfortable with. You're going to have to do some things that cause you pain personally because you don't like this worship style or you don't like whatever. It means you're going to have to be willing to fail. I don't like any of those things. You probably don't either. So the fourth relationship, and this one I like least of all, in the life of Paul, I observe an interesting trend. Not only was he willing to go into dark places, into uncomfortable situations, painful uh, experiences, and he was willing to try stuff that he could potentially fail at, and he did over and over again, 
but he also shifted his relationship with discipline. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, Do you not know that in a race all runners run? All right, come on, silly. Everybody runs. But only one gets first prize. Run in such a way, talking about your life, to get the prize. You can tell Paul was a competitive guy. He says, Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the price. So this is going to be your least favorite point. Because no matter your age, you need to make some decisions about the disciplines you're willing to embrace to leave a life of legacy, to leave an impact in your children's life, to leave an impact with your spouse, to leave an impact in your family, at work. Whatever impact you want to leave depends on the disciplines you choose. Those of us who are older in the room know this. Some of us who are younger, sitting on the front row and back around here, you are going to be guided by the disciplines that you choose. In fact, the distance between who you want to be, we all have this dream of who we're going to be, and who you actually become, that distance is paved with the disciplines that you choose in a lifetime. Friends, Paul knew this. Paul said, listen, let's run the race in a way that when we get done, we will have won. We will have left a great legacy as people and as a church. I invite you to that path. So what are the disciplines? What are the disciplines you need to choose to leave a great legacy? When your story has been fully written, and some of you might want to think about this because you're a little closer than the rest of us. Old joke, I know that wasn't kind. Some of you are really young and you don't think you need to think about this, but you do. Because legacy is like financial investment. The earlier you start, the better off you are. When your story has been fully written, what will be written on the hearts of the people you leave behind? At some point, people will stand around and tell a story about you. What do you want them to say? It might be that you need to shift your relationship with comfort. You need to stop living to be comfortable all the time and you need to give some serious thought to the fact that life is uncomfortable and we just need to get over it. And the only question we have to answer is whether we're willing to move into comfort or into discomfort. Some of us need to shift our relationship with pain. We're so busy trying to avoid pain in our relationships at school. You're trying to be in the right group. You're trying not to stick your head above you know, everybody else, so you don't get whacked uh, at 
work. You might not be going the extra mile. I don't know what it looks like for you. What about your relationship with failure? Are there some things that God wants you to try, places he wants you to go, people he wants you to talk to, and you're just like, no, I don't think so, Lord. What if I fail? Paul would say, so what? You might. Good luck. And maybe you need to shift some disciplines in your life so that when your story is told, people will remember you because of what you chose to do, the kind of person you chose to be. One of my disciplines in my life, and I have a list, and I only have a bunch of disciplines because I'm just that immature. I need lots of disciplines. One of them is that I don't leave my house in the morning if my kids are up without wrapping my arms around both of my kids. I've got three, one's in college. Right now it's two. Wrapping my arms around them. And sometimes this is awkward, especially for my 10th grade son. I give him a big old hug and say, I love you. He's like, oh, dad. That's fine. He'll get over it. Someday, that's what he'll remember. And I put my arm around my daughter, squeeze her close, say, you look gorgeous today. I love you, and I think you're going to have a great day. She's in eighth grade. She needs to know she looks gorgeous. You remember eighth grade? Everybody's kicking your shins in eighth grade. There are things that you choose as a parent, as a spouse, as a worker, as a student, that will shape your life. I want to encourage you to pick those things. The last question I want to ask you is, what kind of church will you be in this community? I realize that you're in a transition phase, folks. I do know some of the details of what's happening in the life of this church. And I realize that there are challenges that you're experiencing right now. And my question to you is, what kind of church will you be? What kind of people will you be? Will you be a part of this church because it's comfortable, because it's fun? Or will you be a part of this church because this church is about advancing into the darkness for the glory of God? Will you dedicate yourself to being a Marine and going after it with this church? You know what? Our churches in America are filled with people who want to be amused who want to be comfortable. And I, as your district superintendent, am calling you to be a different group of people. There will be discomfort ahead. Heads up. As you find a new pastor, this will be uncomfortable. There will be pain in your future as you reach into this community on behalf of Jesus Christ. There will be potential for failure. And you desperately need a set of disciplines that will help you accomplish that. Friends, I love you. And I don't say that in the mushy way. I've been praying that God would give me this deep, abiding love for each of the people that attends our more than 90 churches across all of Minnesota and half of the Dakotas. And I can say honestly that I was praying for you all the way up here I'll be praying for you on the way back. I care about what God is doing here. 
And part of my care for you is not to wrap my arm around you and say, oh, it's going to be okay. I want to do that too. Part of my love for you is to say, let's get after it. Let's go get this city in a 15-mile radius for the glory of Jesus because that is why you're here. Jesus, we thank you not only for loving us and filling us and strengthening us today, but, Lord, you've set this calling out in front of us that when we come to Jesus, it's no longer about us, but it's about you. And so, Lord, we need your strength for that because, Lord, we're so consumed with ourselves. I'm so consumed with myself. And I need you, Lord, to breathe into me and all of my friends a fresh awareness of why we came to Jesus. Lord, I pray for this church. I pray that the enemy would have no place in this transition. In the name of Jesus, because he said we have the power to say this, not because of who I am, because of Jesus' power, I say, enemy, you have no place here. You have no part in what's happening in this body. And in the name of Jesus, we rebuke you and we, invite, we bind you from this place and from each person that's here. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would settle your Holy Spirit on each person that's here. And right now, they would sense your love. They would sense your presence. And we thank you that in the midst of difficulty, we are never alone. Thank you, Jesus. And we pray these things in your precious name. Amen.